Good afternoon. I'm Bellybolt VDC, also known as Tyler. I'm Titan Nexus, also known as Chris. And we're from the Pokevolt podcast. We're doing a joint episode today with. I'm Josh from Sly and Pine VGC. And I am Abby, also known as Sly Abby, also from Sly and Pine VGC. And uh, today we are going to discuss uh, several topics related to the World Championships. First, we're going to cover what's the same and what's different about this year compared to past years. Uh, we're going to talk about which Pokemon and people we'd like to succeed. Then we're going to go over the uh, Pokemon fi- Fantasy Football Team. Uh, that's it's official, by the way, like made by the Pokemon Company. So we're gonna we're gonna discuss that and how uh, you can compete it. Which Pokemon we think will do well. Strategies for that. We'll uh, also talk about uh, two mystery gifts. Uh, just the news about the cancellation of the first tournament of the 2024 season. Sweet. So uh, first of all, Worlds. It's it's less than two weeks away. Uh, I that think it's crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's it's beginning of August. So yeah. it's in Yokohama, yeah, Japan, yeah. as you all probably know. So what's the same and what's different about this tournament compared to past years? It's in Japan, the home of Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, that is a really big topic. I feel like they're they've kind of treated worlds differently this year. We've kind of got a spectacle spectacle with like advertising and then like all of the events that I feel like have happened in the past, but I feel like they're kind of built up this year more so than they have been. Um, and I feel like it's getting a treatment that we haven't seen in the past, really with the animation that was just released too. Um, yeah, that was cool. Really beautiful animation to see something awesome. like that done for worlds. Like I, I want more content like that for Pokemon and especially on like the VGC and TCG side, you know, to be treated by the Pokemon company like that and to get something like that was really cool. Yeah, seeing the Dragon Knight terastalize at the end of the video, like it just, it, I felt something from it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, they're going all out with this Worlds too. They got a parade for Pokemon. They got the Pokemon cruise ship where people can go and do side events at. Like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, like they are going all out. They got concerts going on. It's been really fun watching too, like on Twitter, like as everyone kind of like, announces that they either got their shot to like make it onto the cruise ship or to make it into like one of the merch stores or if they didn't you know like (laughs) yeah it was done by a weird lottery system and uh yeah a lot of people didn't even get in it was hyper competitive to get a slot for like anything uh obviously player but also spectator uh shopping even it was hard to get when their problem is that people they have so many people wanting to give them money that People have to sign up, and some people don't get a slot. That's that, that's a pretty good position for them as a company. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. That's and when actually, Pokemon has gotten too big. <laughs> yeah, well, that kind of leads into an important topic. I mean, VGC just on a matter of scale is so much bigger than it's ever been. It's it's exploded. Like we were just talking before the episode started. Like here in North America, we're seeing uh, tournaments with like 800 plus people at regionals. And like five years ago, someone said there's going to be an 800 person regional. I think people would, you know, be like, what really? That's, that's not exactly how it was. And uh, more people, more attention. I mean, the whole scene's growing and parts of it have grown in great ways, like getting day two Swiss 
which so we're a little more in line with the way the larger TCG scene has been is awesome, but parts of it still need to grow, I think, a lot, such as uh, I expect the pricing to match TCG pricing last year, at le- next year at least. We'll yeah, see. Hopefully, hopefully. There are some growing things. But look, uh, the, the Pokemon Company International and the Pokemon Company, you know, all those, they, they aren't stupid. And they, uh, I'm sure that they see opportunity here. And I hope they grasp it because they right now it seems like it, all they have to do is facilitate this expansion when pe- people want to do this. And, if, and uh, if they provide the opportunity to a lot more people and make things more accessible, like they could have something really big on their hands. Yeah, it's really interesting too with like the, the growth and size of TCG and VG like down the road, like They've always been paired together, but it really does make me wonder, like, as time goes on, you know, is it something that may be split up as time goes on, um, like, in the actual event halls? Because I feel like we're getting to a point where, like, in events, like, there are so many people that, like, parking is overflowed, like, the food venues are overflowed. Like, that was a theme that, like, I feel like in Orlando was really bad. Um, I wasn't there, but we have friends in the community that, you know, we've talked to that said it was terrible um knoxville we kind of got a taste of like the the food venues there just wasn't a lot so like lines and stuff for lunches were like really hard to make um when you have like thousands of players from the tcg side and then thousands of players from the vg side all rushing to one place at the same time it just causes like a you know a cluster so i am really interested to see as time goes on and both continue to grow because i feel like tcg is also in a stage where like it's becoming incredibly popular as well so it's, I'm really interested to see as time goes on, do they both continue being in the same event halls for all these events, or do they eventually split up? Not I don't know if they'll that. split up, but I could definitely see uh, maybe them having their own events, per se. Uh, so like this, like you might have a regional here and it's only going to be like TCG or this regional might only be BGC. I could really see them doing that. Um, but I could also see them not splitting up some of them. Well, like doing more special events, possibly. Something that would be really beneficial of that is like, I have several friends and I know that there's a lot of people like this who would love to compete in both, but feel like they have to choose one or the other out of TCG and VGC, just because you can only sign up for one at a regional, like, uh, and, uh, heck I might even show up to a couple of TCG ones if it was split up, but, uh, but I wouldn't if it wasn't. And there's also yeah, something you gotta, else. You got to get those champion points and you can't sacrifice those champion points to go to a TCG region. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But the, uh, and another thing to know is even though Pokemon tournament was taken out of their like officially sponsored games fairly recently, uh, they have added unite and go, which just increases the number of people at the venue by that much more. Yeah, that is true. So uh, that's something I, I don't really know how it works as unite at regionals as well. Or is that something, is that a separate circuit? where those events happen or that's a separate circuit, but they were at internets. Yeah. They were at NAIC. I remember seeing them there. Yeah. Yeah, That's the only time I've ever seen anything for them was at the internets. 
And their circuit really otherwise it. is online qualifiers. Like their tournaments are, I, vote, are, I believe, onla- online except for NAIC, though whether that changes in this upcoming year, we shall see. Awesome. Uh, all right. So uh, this season. So we had a. No, go, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so this season we had a shorter season uh, with the new game coming out, but lower point requirement, only 300 points to qualify for Worlds. Uh, Definitely more people qualifying, though. Uh, I feel like, like you said, uh, Josh, earlier about the uh, increase in player count, obviously that's going to get raise those brackets and give more people qualifying for points, more people, more qualify, uh, people qualifying. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but there's about 358 qualified this year. And uh, as Chris looked up earlier, it was 75 in 2018, 79 in 2019 and 114 in 2022, but 2022 had like, weird qualifications with like people who qualified in 2020 being grandfathered in uh and that's how many people competed i believe not how many people qualified yeah yeah and yes. there's some people who qualify but just for one reason or another can't make it but yeah it'll, I mean, it'll be interesting now that covid's gone and everything to see how many of these like 358 actually show up to the event because uh, I know personally a few people who actually qualified that aren't going to actually be able to go to Worlds because it's in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's expensive to travel there. Yeah, that was a huge bar of entry this year for a lot of players, I feel like, was the cost level of you know traveling internationally, especially to a country that I feel like has limited travel and you know the cost is very expensive for players traveling from the West all the way there is... You know, just incredibly expensive flights alone are like five to six grand, depending on when you bought them, maybe even more um, and the location based. Um, so it's that that's something that was, you know, definitely impacted uh, to the player count. It's something that I think, too, like, we, you know, like you said, Titan, we've seen so many more players in VG this year that we're seeing such a high number of qualifications for 2023. Um, while I, f- I, I still feel like that's kind of low though, for the amount of players that we did have at like each regional and the amount of players that we saw have success through the year, I do feel like, you know, that number could have set more around like 400 to 450 to represent like a good player pool from, um, you know, uh, the Asian circuit had like very little representation. If you look at like the qualification or yeah, all the qualifiers across the world, the Asian circuit doesn't have a ton of representation. Um, so that's something, you know, we've talked about on our podcast in the past was there were, had been players that had been disqualified. Um, and then, you know, the issues that had happened throughout the season with the bugs in the game. And then, you know, the players abusing the disconnects. And so that that's something that I think may have impacted that slightly too. Um, and, that I think that we could have seen a little bit rep- more representation from players in the Asian circuit. Um, I think that's something that I personally would like to see improved on next year is that if the Asian circuit could more reflect like what the players in the West get to see, um, we get to prepare for best of three and that play style and yeah. format all year long. 
as compared to the Asian circuit and Eastern players having to play on closed team sheet best of one format. So like, I feel like they're at a slight disadvantage coming into Worlds this year as the West has been playing this format all year long and we have got very well at playing in that format. As to, you know, the best of one is, it's different and I feel like that there are strategies that will succeed. But I do imagine that those players have been crunching for the past few months, you know, flopping formats, getting ready for Worlds. Yeah, and I mean, even though if OTS is new this year, like... It being best of three in the West and uh, best of one in TPC regions has always been a thing. And I mean, uh, the divide is just a little more stark, but yeah, this isn't a new issue. It's just one that's a little more poignant now that there's the whole team sheet thing. And uh, especially with the, yeah, the, the circuits were just more different than ever this year than ever before. Yeah. I think, too, though, that that's kind of probably like a hard thing to speak on, too, because, you know, players there may enjoy best of one and want it to stay that way with closed team sheets and everything. So that's something that, like, from my perspective, I like open team sheets and we're used to playing in that. I would just feel like at a disadvantage, you know, be playing in one style and then being forced to play for a format, you know, for the championship. As an older player... um I was very hesitant about the OTS at the beginning, uh, but it definitely really grew on me. And now I don't like to play closed team sheet. I don't like to play on the ranked ladder anymore because I like OTS so much. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you there. Like, the first little bit of open team sheets was like, ah, oh, no, I can't use all these, like, cool, like, sneaky strategies, but I think it just leads to more consistent, like, high-quality play, where it's just, like, a test of, like, skill rather than just, like, predicting, oh, do they have this one niche thing or not? It's, uh, it's served me in particular pretty well, since one of my bigger flaws as a player is I tend to overly play around the what would be the worst case scenario for me, even if my opponent doesn't realize that's the worst case scenario for me. And when I don't know their moves, the, the worst case scenario becomes so much worse and it throws me off a bit more. And I mean, that's something I'm working on, but it's like for me specifically, I'm, I'm OTS is like, this is the greatest thing. Yeah, I have too much anxiety Like when I'm playing on ranked ladder. It's like, oh, do they have this? Do they? Do they? Could they? And then it's like, uh, no, they don't end up having it, but I overthink it too much, and it messes up my plays. <laughs> yeah. I do think that there's a lot of divide with players, too, uh, still to this day with open team sheets versus closed. I know that we had a discussion in voice chat the other day, um, and this was with some younger players, and it's kind of wild, like with players who are just being introduced into Scarlet and Violet competitive, wanting to see closed team sheets make a return after Terra, you know, if Terra exits and that's not the gimmick anymore. Um, players like want to see that come back. And they think that like open team sheet is only here because of Terra and that there is too many possibilities to account for for there to be a meta or for like players to feel rewarded from like their effort and work put in, you know, if you put in all the time and effort to learn the meta and the move sets of what's possible and what will, you know, potentially happen, but you're thrown off because there's 19 Terra types and without an open team sheet, you can't really be prepared for that. 
And like, I'm pretty sure like statistically, if you look at it, having 19 Terra types and only being able to bring four Pokemon and having four Terra types, you actually can't cover for all of them. So without open team sheets, you really could be pinned like fairly easily. So that's something that like, you know, I think that players do look forward to it coming back, but open team sheets for the current gimmick, I think is something that like, it really does have to be there. There's just too many possibilities of move sets, abilities, and now Terra's on top of it. That like, as someone who enjoys the chest aspect of Pokemon, you, you get a little too heavy with it there when you start adding that many possibilities. I completely yeah, agree. I agree. Yes. Uh, so there has been some really strong, consistent teams over the past, uh, so far, leading up into Worlds. Uh, specifically, the one I want to talk about is the re-return, the rise of Armandidi again. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been on the rise again. Like, I've been seeing so much more of it. That and uh, Chen Pao Dragonite stayed strong, has stayed strong, and Dandozo Tatsugiri. Yeah, I mean, these strategies from Reg C have carried over. Not all of them. Some have fallen apart. Like, I I, I see Ting Lu, and I just feel sorry yeah, for the opponent. <laughs> but, uh, or Ting Lu. <laughs> or Ting Lu. But and some things like Lu. <laughs> you and Iron Bundle are not bad, and honestly, I think Iron Bundle's usage rate should be a little higher, just considering the current meta right now. But like those, like some strategies are still there, kind of. But they definitely saw a much decreased usage rate too. But yet, but as you said, like some of them saw not only the same usage rate but increased usage rate, which is crazy. Like Armady, but I mean, well, I this think is... a big thing is like for Armady is like. Pokemon like Ting Lu, which is a pretty big counter to Armady, just because, you know, the dark type, those usage rates are going down and, like, increased usage rates of, like, Urshifu, who will just, like, Urshifu Water, at least, who will just die to an expanding force. I think that definitely is part of the reason we are seeing a lot more Armady now. So, yeah, I would agree. Another thing is, as far as dealing with dark types, too, uh, Armadie got access to two extremely powerful fighting types in yeah. uh, Hisuian Lilligant, because Torkoal synergizes with Armadie super well anyway, and Hisuian Lilligant gives you the fighting coverage you need. The other being Unburdened Psychic Seed Sneasler, which is actually yeah. what Abby and I are both going to bring to Locals this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been running on my team, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty so strong. Sneasler is actually really good. He really is. He's one of my favorite new mons, honestly. We were making a tier list for draft, and I said that Sneasler should have been an S tier, and everyone fought me on it and fought me on it, and like still didn't put it in there. And I was like, "Go, fine. The pick will be there for me, and I'm taking it." But like, yeah, I feel like everyone was crazy for that. Like, <laughs> the, like Dire Claw being able to do what it does and unburden. Yeah, like the Pokemon learns Rock Slide. Like it's a really good Pokemon, and the Dire Claw. <laughs> Having just, like, this random chance to, like, put them to sleep or paralyze is just, like, so good. Yeah, there's so it's, many possibilities, like and the, the damage icing. output is so high that it's just... There's a lot of really good matchups and things that you can do with it and synergies on teams. You can send yeah. it out next to Ndidi, and thanks to Unburden, they can use Tailwind next to their Max Speed Jolly or Shifu, and you still one-shot it with Acrobatics. Yeah. <laughs> he outspeeds pretty much everything. Yeah. 
120 base speed, 130 base attack. What more could you ask for? Uh, maybe the ability <laughs> and, to hit some heights. Anyway. Partner next to Ndidi, just in, they, unless they have spread, they can't touch it. <laughs> but anyway, steering us back to the main t- topic. Uh, so, uh, looking at early tournaments this year, or let me rephrase that, the tournaments that were early in different series slash regulations throughout the year, uh, there's... I kind of lend like sort of three different teams that have done well. And uh, first, so just strong, consistent teams that are good into field. The biggest one that comes to mind is balance. Balance has been really strong throughout the past generations, and it's going to do well at Worlds. Uh, the second thing is strategies from past years adapted to the present. And the reason I bring those up is, first of all, a lot of the people who played Worlds have been playing for a very long time. And frankly, this format is more like a Gen 8 format or a Gen, than a Gen 9 format in some ways, if that makes any sense. Uh, like the non-restricted one, of course. But And uh, these people have memories. And in addition, like uh, adapting past teams has proven successful in the past. If you all remember the San Diego Regional, the first regional of Scarlet and Violet, uh, if any of you read the team report of Jisuk Lee, uh, he took a t- he literally looked at Gen Eight, took like an Urshifu team, and like matched the different things. Like Meowth provided the uh, the grass coverage and the critical hit of Urshifu. Backscalibur uh, was a substitute for uh, Glastrier, and matched it up and took it all the way. And like, uh, and my point is like people might try to adapt these uh, teams from past years. And then yeah. finally, the other thing is uh, hard anti-meta calls. And I guess that kind of also umbrellas like niche combos that no one's ever heard of before, which is more likely at a tournament where we haven't had prior... Yeah. Like, Clodsire day two of Nino's biggest tournament. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clodsire actually makes a lot of sense, but maybe that's a rabbit hole we don't want to go down right now let's for go. time reasons. Clodsire's going to win worlds. Let's go. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. That would be legendary. <laughs> I know Tyler wants Belly Bolt to be on the winning team. Hey, I'm I'm actually rooting for Ploppy can't make it to Worlds, so if Claude Sire wins World, I'm actually I'm I'm waving the little Claude Sire flag. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so what do you all think is gonna win? Like what what like if you are team building for worlds right now, what approach do you think is gonna do best? So I have talked to a few people who I know are going to Worlds, and I know some of their mons that they're taking. I'm not going to say who they are, uh, but there's three mons in particular Like I think that are really going to shine. I think it's going to be Glacier, uh, Reggie Drago, and Spectrier. I think all three of them are going to be... Uh, I think we'll see them in the top eight. Yeah, I think I think Reggie Drago's strong. You just have to have a way to deal with those fairy and steel types. Which, frankly, is doable. Yeah, yeah. it is doable. A lot of them run uh, Steel Terra Terra Blast. Which doesn't one-shot Flutter. It doesn't, uh, unless you're using unless you're next hand or choice specs on your Drago. But, uh, yeah, I think... but it does a chunk of damage. I think I would personally go the route of building with weather if I was preparing for worlds. Um, I do yeah, think that I we're agree. we're seeing like 
if we look back at like all the other early seasons, I think that weather um, is always strong in an early format. Um, you know that the hyper offense is there. You have fairly bulky mons that you can pivot around. Um, there, there's just like there's the comfortability of like it's around, and we talked about players that are you know have played for many of years. Um, a lot of the weather setters that we're using right now are mons that have been around for you know several years now. 10 plus at that um so i do think that like weather wars are going to be a thing pelipper and torkoal will be everywhere um there has been in the past like several big um grassroot tours we have seen the thunderous pelipper rain teams um abusing swift swim basque legion um i do think that like there will be people who are prepped for that as time goes on but as we have seen you know, the meta is still very early and there's not any official events for things to really be gauged with the players that are at that level. So I do think that we're still still going to see those early meta teams that like are slightly changed, you know, from these grassroots tours that may have like a different Terra type. But the archetypes, I think that we really have seen formed, you know, the, the balance, uh, you touched balance. I really think that we have seen like Heatran, Amoongus, um, you know, Flutter, and then there's like redirection teams. Um, there's a lot of like Ferrigaraf teams right now. And then you you all touched on Ndidi Arma, uh, Ndidi Arma. And I think that there are even cores around Ndidi Arma now that are like essentially a balanced core around that hyper offense spread. So I, I am really interested to see like you know if there are any small changes to those teams. But I do think that the archetypes have been kind of established. Now, like, what is really interesting you kind of touched on is, like, the, the hard anti-meta calls. And I do think that we're in the stages now just, what, two a week or two before Worlds. Um, we are seeing trends of Mons that are picking up in Regulation D, um, such as Ferrigaraf, um, and then you have uh, other Trick Room setters, too, Cresselia on that list. Um, a lot of really, Gothitelle, a lot of really strong Psychic types that I think are sleeper picks that players know that Trick Room right now, if Trick Room is set, it is really hard to play and get out of Trick Room. With the Mons that are being used, hyper-offensive teams, there, there's a lot of glass cannons, and there are not a lot of Mons that withstand those heavy-hitting Trick Room Mons. Um, Ursa Luna being one of those that I think, like, there's a lot of answers to take care of Ursa Luna, but that's where I'm really interested to see, like, how is it adjusted slightly between now and Worlds? to where that it, you know, it will still, the the damage output is there. We know that. It mm -hmm. okos almost every single mon in the format, depending on the move that it chooses to hit. So they're, like, it's very problematic, and I think that the right player will find a way to use it successfully. Um, I recently saw in my own grassroots tour that I hosted, like, in a, a Trick Room Ursaluna player um, almost went undefeated, only dropped one match, and then ended up either getting, I think it was first or second, um, but like that hard trick room is definitely there. And I think like it's a sleeper pick that like players, it, it takes time to figure it out, but there are those players that are figuring it out there on the, you know, under the radar. And I think that trick room and weather is going to be probably two of the strongest picks. <laughs> Joe is going to probably make the new Rinya Sun team. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that. I, I can see that, see that he does like his son. He does love his son. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, who do you guys think is likely to uh, succeed? Who Who are we hoping for? 
well, one thing about this season in particular is the sheer number of players who have been playing at just like a phenomenally consistent level of success in tournaments is super high. And out of and when I say a high number, it's uh, I'm mostly thinking of uh, Western players just because those are the ones that you see like regional tournament results for. There aren't as yeah. many Western tournaments just due to the way their circuit is structured. Of course, they have some phenomenal talent as well. And uh, so, I mean, there are like the number of people who like have like legitimate, reasonable, somewhat likely shots is very high. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. <laughs> yeah. Uh, personally, the, uh, I mean, the people I'm rooting for most are probably like uh, Zachary Thornburg, just because he's just been super nice every time we've interacted. Uh, yeah, he's, a, he's a phenomenal guy. And then, uh, but, but uh, the my uh, real hope are some of the people that I get to see and face at the SoCal locals, like Ryan Haig, Brian Collins, uh, Cortex, etc. Alberto, uh, of course. <laughs> I, I'm really uh, so I'm gonna take a pretty good pick here. Uh, so my fan favorite pick to win is Tom Hayden. Oh, Phenomenal guy. Player. Oh yeah. I think he deserves the win. <laughs> <laughs> Realistically, I feel like James Beck, Paul Chua, uh, Justin might have a shot. Justin, I think Tank. it would be. I think it would be very interesting to see him win. But, yeah, that would be really interesting to see him win his two regionals and uh, worlds in the same year. <laughs> if he won, BGC would see probably the largest number of people at tournaments next year compared to if anyone else wins. With yeah. the possible exception of any one of the larger YouTubers. Yeah, but my uh, my sleeper pick is Tom Hayden. Tom, I hope you win. Good luck, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Tom and I are one and one at official events, so I, I, I want him to win, so then uh then either way it'll make the stakes so much higher when we finally finish our best of three. We get paired <laughs> up again inevitably. There you go. Abby, who's your sleeper pick? Uh my sleeper pick? I don't really know. I'm kinda of thinking I just think it'll be interesting to see Justin Tang win. That's kind of my hope. Just cause it's like, you know, his first season playing in like the competitive circuit. I know he'd like been playing Pokemon for a while, but like this is his first season of going to events, and I think it would really be interesting to see a newcomer, yeah, like get win the title. Yeah, I'm with that. I'm. Uh, I hate to jump on the bandwagon, but I'm jumping on. The, I'm with Tang Gang. I actually went. My first regional ever. Um, Titan talked me into going was Knoxville. So uh, meeting Justin at Knoxville and then again at Charlotte and, you know, his whole crew being really cool. And like, you know, I asked for a shirt and they were like just polite enough to literally give me a shirt and um, really cool people always encouraging. And it is really cool to see like a player come out and their first year compete do that well. And it does, you know, it gives hope to other players like that's I didn't have the results that I wanted from my first year, you know, but like watching someone else do that well, really, you know, it gives me the hope like, cool, I didn't have it this year, but like, it's definitely worth putting in the work because other people, other players did have that. And like, 
you know, even like outside of Tang, I had, you know, closer friends that um, had really well, like really good runs this year and almost qualified for Worlds. Some of them even did qualify for Worlds. Um, outside of Justin Tang, though, I will also say my sleeper pick would be Tom Hayden. Uh, <laughs> I'm jumping on the Titan there. Uh, just a really good friend that I've made out throughout the year and like hanging out at events, um, doing interviews, and then playing in Tommy Tuesdays like literally every Tuesday um, and really appreciating that practice. So I'm, I'm rooting for Tom and Justin. He's, he's just always a joy to talk to, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. Yeah, just a great guy all around. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So, so the Pokemon fantasy team. I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, I'll just quickly summarize what that is. For anyone who hasn't heard, have you heard of fantasy football? No, maybe. Well, it's basically that for Pokemon. You'll choose a team of six Pokemon, and this is run by like the official Pokemon company. And uh, according to some system, you'll earn points based on how well those individual Pokemon do at the World Championships. And they mentioned something about prizing, even, if you choose well. And However, some things are ambiguous. For example, if a Pokemon is in all of the top eight teams, but that's because it's on every team. Oh, Fluttermane. Uh, sorry, something <laughs> in my throat. Uh, that, does that mean that it'll get a lot of points for having a lot of high finishes? Or because its win rate's exactly 50% when it's on every team, does that mean that it'll, it won't get as many points? It depends how they set it up. Is it based on kills, damage done, or... Purely win rate. I'd imagine purely win rate, but we don't know. Yeah, I think with the such high usage Pokemon, like we're gonna see for Urshifu and Fluttermane, and mm-hmm. like we know those two are probably gonna be like the most used Pokemon, along with maybe a Moongus Iron Hands. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see like how their points and scoring really goes. I'm rooting for the KO counter. Yeah, I'd be down for a KO counter. I think that'd be the best way. Yeah, like stream KO counter or something. Like if they keep count of all the Pokemon that gets a KO on stream, I think that would be incredible. Like Like maybe not for the whole tour, but, you know, like on stream, if they did that, it'd be really interesting. I feel feel like that would like exclude like support Pokemon though, like Amoongus. That's very true. That's so true. True. I think are also just as vital to the team as the more Steelers are. That's a a very good point. Yeah. That's true. And uh, and also, uh, Michael, what you said reminded me is yeah, something like a KO counter for the stream would be awesome. And maybe that could be an additional thing. But logically speaking, as you kind of said, it's like, it would exclude a lot of people if they only did stuff based on stream. I'm mean, not a lot of people, a lot of Pokemon, if it was only what they did on stream. So it's probably going to be win rate based just so they can easily track it across all the games. Yeah. But there might be some, if they did like a bonus thing for like stream games in particular, that would be really cool. I don't know. I could also see them doing it by like highest placement. Like, oh, if this Pokemon places at first, it's going to be like weighted more than someone who got like only like fifth or sixth. In that case, you want to go the mons that are going to have really high usage. Like, yeah. in case, Fluttermane would be a shoe I don't know. I think this is like, we're just going to have to figure out more of what this means as they announce stuff for it. Wow. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm picking, uh, 
Dragonite, Chen Pao, Fluttermane, Urshifu, Amoongus, and uh <laughs> I think those are some good picks there if anyone's interested. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah, once again, depending on how they set it up. Uh one strategy that could be interesting is choosing like uh a few metamons just to kind of get your score up, and then choosing one or two more off meta picks that you think will do well. It's a little bit more, uh, just that'll let you kind of stand out from other people score-wise if yours does well at the cost of if they don't do well, you're going to be below people who just chose meta picks. So if you're actually going for like a super high position, choosing mostly meta and then one or two off meta might be a point. If you just want like a solid standing, go the strong, consistent meta staples. They're strong, consistent meta staples for a reason. By the way, everything I said, if you chose... Uh, if you replace uh, choose for your draft team with te- with uh, choose for the team you're building, I think that would all hold true. But uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, but overall, I just think this idea of the fantasy like draft or like for the Pokemon, it's like I think it's a really good way to get players who aren't actually going to Worlds involved in what's happening with Worlds, and I think it's a really good way to build hype for V two C. Yeah, it makes me want to watch it like so much more, yeah. honestly. The yeah. viewership Even is though it's going to be at 2 a.m. <laughs> that is one thing I'm really excited to see is the viewership this year of Worlds, like how increased. Um, I feel like there's a lot of attention right now um, outside of the Pokemon community, actually, on Pokemon um, from other esports. Uh, knowing the rule changes that are coming next year, um, organizations are actually interested in like dabbling into Pokemon now. Um, uh, coming from like, I've played other esports for years and like coming from that realm and like having family members and friends that are involved in them, uh, hear it, you know, hearing that there's actually interest in VGC and like Pokemon as like an esport in general is very interesting because I feel like it's something that like, you know, Pokemon has kind of been excluded in that category for a long time. And I think that like some of the rule set changes and the, the general interest in the game, for the past several years has kind of like influenced a change in that. So I am kind of, you know, excited as a whole for the community and to see where that goes. Um, yeah. Uh, it's uh, sort of an anecdote on that note is I'd uh, like to give a shout out to uh, Sean Pinto. goes by Opelucid. Uh, in San Diego, locals sometimes have like four to six people. Uh, last time, San Diego is a bit of a drive for me, but last time I was there, there were six people. And Sean has been, uh, Sean's got like this fire and he's been building like this, all uh, this Pokemon team at UCSD to do well in the uh, collegiate VGC league next season. Uh, they did really well last year. They got, I mean, th- this past season, they got second place, which is just phenomenal. And uh, he t- said that he has like 20 people who said they're going to attend locals semi-regularly now. So like that seems wow. just exploding. And I think like we might even see stuff like that happening. Like what he's doing is maybe a bit exceptional, but like we're, we're going to see growth of these things, especially after Worlds being such a spectacle this year, next year. And considering how much growth we've already seen, it's getting huge. Yeah. And uh, another thing is, as some of you might have seen, the Pokemon Company has uh, released guidelines for official official sponsorship of players at tournaments, which is a big deal. Yeah, that's yeah, huge. that's a, that's a pretty big deal. And another thing, uh, I don't know if a lot of people really know this, but they streamed the last uh, 
episode of Pokemon in uh, the middle of like their like Times Square area in Tokyo, Japan. Oh, cool. Like when Ash when Ash faced Leon, they aired that match live there. So people like tens uh ten like tens of thousands of people were standing there like watching it. That's really cool. I'm interested to see this year too, like the love for Pokemon. Chris, you just touched on something that I think like um this is kind of touching base on like one of the topics here at the end, so we can kind of roll into this if you if you all would like. Um, so, the overflow of people who love Pokemon in Japan, I feel like, is a massive number. Like there is just an enormous amount of love for Pokemon in Japan. So the number of spectators and people who will want to come to Worlds in general in Japan, and even if they're not attending or going in, I think that they may just travel to you know, uh, sorry, my brain is literally drawing a blank right now. I'll edit this out. Where's Worlds? <laughs> Yokohama. Yokohama, <laughs> sorry. I almost said Tokyo, and I was like, it's not Tokyo in Yokohama. Um, <laughs> so I think that, like, one thing I've been thinking is, like, I feel like there is going to be an enormous number of Japanese people who do come just to support Pokemon in general and, like, the street parade aspect of Pokemon. Um, I... So I am curious to see how that affects, like, you know, international players coming in and there just being, like, an overwhelming number of people in the city at that time. Um, so I think that that may affect, um, you know, the canceling of events that were happening happening at the Worlds. So I think that that's something, you know, that players and people aren't thinking about. But I do see there being, like, a bit of just, like, overpopulation and like oh just too many players being in the event and spectators um we've seen at naic um the lines for prize pools the lines for food um things were you know borderline problematic um for the food the most part was like handled pretty well um but i do think that like prize pooling and overall like the event lines um that were organized by um tpc i uh were kind of questionable and i do think that like that's just due to the number of players and people overall in general um and that's something that like you know i'm understanding and i you know i don't want to sound like i'm complaining because i do understand and appreciate the change that is going on you know they're seeing an influx of players at these events from you know what was 200 a year or two ago now to 800 and 900 so I do think that that's something that the company is having to make adjustments for live this year, and we are seeing that happen. Um, I just do hope that it's like handled a bit better because I'm I'm a bit worried for that, and I think that that might play into like the open being canceled. I just don't think that they were prepared for how much it skyrocketed in popularity this year. Things like, like I think that really caught them off guard. And uh, hopefully they'll make adjustments coming into the 2024 season. Uh, if not, then uh, they're, it's going to be super questionable. Uh, I, I definitely foresaw something getting, like, obviously with the number of people going to the events and then all the money they spent, like, on side events, the cruise, the parade and everything. I wasn't shocked to see the Yokohama Open canceled. But obviously it's, it sucks that some players aren't going to have much to do other than the normal side events on day two. But 
I mean, it is what it is. So just a bit of context for anyone who doesn't know, the Yokohama Open, after every world championship, they, which was, I know what Belly Bolt was leading up to is probably this. Uh, the After every world championship, they uh, a lot of people get eliminated on day one. And so on day two, people who are there locally and generally most of the people who got eliminated on day one compete in what's called the World's Open, which is a tournament. And the champion point payout is actually the same as a regionals. And it's the first champion point event of the next season. So uh, that meaning that people can earn champion points for what is probably going to be a very competitive 2024 season. And some people might have only planned a trip all the way to Japan, uh, not only for the Yokohama Open, but they wouldn't have done it without it. And then just a week and a half ago or so, it, Pokemon, the Pokemon Company just canceled it. Pokemon Company International just canceled it. And yeah. Without declaring a reason. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they need to have a little more transparency there, especially if they want to like foster this really good community. I think just transparency is very important. Yeah, because so, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I hope I just hope for more transparency in the future. Yeah, if they had come out and said, "Yeah, we're overbooked with too many people going to be in this venue, we can't have the open this year," I think a lot more players would be like, "Okay, yeah, we understand." Like, it's been crazy at some of these regionals. But just canceling it, not giving you an explanation as to why, that's kind of just like... Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it is what it is. We can't do anything just I hate to be the I but... hate to be, like, the guy that's always, like, right in the middle with everything. But, like, there's one thing that I do think that there's a lot of oversight on is the fact that, like, the preparation for Worlds and all of this is a lot of floating parts right now. And, like, the organizers and the judges and, like, the people who are actually hosting the side events all like there could be issues with like actual visas and the travel for the people who are helping organize those events so i do think that there could be factors that come into play into this that are kind of you know that could be oversight and i feel like it, it could be something you know that's like a tragic event like to where like someone's not able to make it to japan um i know i saw earlier on twitter that already like some of the tcg casters have already had issues um with making like making it to Japan and with their visas, so yeah, I think that like people with visa issues. yeah, and here in America there's like huge wait times for visas and for um, passports. So I do think that there may be issues with like organizers, judges, you know, tur- tournament, like just the staff in general to host that open. The amount of players and people that it would take to do that is enormous so i think that that does play a little bit into it and i think that there may be a little bit of oversight on those factors that play into like what may actually be happening like even with like there being too many people in the city you know there could be they could be told by the yokohama that there are already too many like because if the city knows that there's too many travelers coming in the hotels are overbooked they know that there's going to be too much travel on the streets that you know that raises the issue of like we've seen like really tragic events in the east recently from like o- overpopulated cities having these big festivals and events and then they become like it becomes problematic because of that so i do think that they may be trying to avoid a situation like that because like having people funnel in, all into one area to go to a cruise ship is going to be highly dangerous in a lot of organization that's you know costing the company an enormous amount of money 
So I do think that there's a lot of floating parts and things that like people really do need to take into account before jumping the gun and just being like terrible company. Like, oh my God, you know, like they're, they are doing a lot in organizing these massive events that have grown in number very fast and like the it's changing so quickly. So I do think that there's a lot of pressure on them and a lot of expectation, you know, for them to do it right because of the size of the company. But I do think that it's the first time that the company has dealt with events of this size. Yeah. Yeah. And I could definitely see that. Yeah. It's uh even if they should have they probably should have communicated, but they didn't just be like they weren't just like Lamau, let's just let's just cancel this Yokohama open for fun. Yeah, they, Not, they they did it because they had. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be funny would. if? Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if we just cancel it? But yeah, I agree. I think there's definitely reasons behind the scenes. It is just like a, it would be nice if it, they had transparency. Yeah. Or canceled it sooner. Yeah, yeah that too. Because I know just a lot of like playing. And now, like they've known that, Worlds yeah. is going to be there for a year. Like they could have said two months ago. Hey, we're not doing the Yokohama Open instead of in the middle of July after people are already buying their plane tickets. <laughs> it's yeah. possible. Honestly, so just quickly too. Oh, so yeah, just following what uh, ahead, Michael was saying, sorry. like if it is like something where like the city said, "Sorry, this is too many people," they might have only found out they couldn't do it recently. Who knows? That is very true. true. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what were you uh, saying? Moving on to our last little piece. Uh, Gastrodon and shiny Grimmsnarl mystery gifts. I believe Actually, the Grimmsnarl one is uh, out currently. Yeah, there are three mystery gifts that will be available during the time period of Worlds, and two are currently available. Uh, the f first one is Eduardo Kunha's Gastrodon. The code will be revealed during the World stream, so we don't know that yet. Uh, Gastrodon just keeps winning Worlds, so I, th I think that they gave a Gastrodon at Worlds last year, too, if I remember correctly, or at one of the tournaments. Near they the did, end of yes. <laughs> Who knows? It could win again. Yeah. It could win again uh, for Shifu Counter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the second one, the Shiny Grim Snarl, as Titan mentioned, is a, uh, is, it's Nontaro's, uh, Grim Snarl that won the 2022 Thailand Championships. The code for that one is... Tie twenty two champ. So T H A one two zero two two C H A M P. It's holding a light clay, competitively built, all that. And then the final one is uh, a Pokemon from the anime. I'm not going to mention the species because it's a Pokemon that's appeared, and in the episode where its Terra type was revealed, they released a Pokemon based on it. And so the code is Dark Terra zero 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 six. D A R K T E R A zero 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 six. And yeah, I watched the see. anime and I was silly sitting here thinking, what Pokemon is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Come on, Titan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I already got it too. That's the bad part. I was like, what's he talking about? <laughs> awesome. I'm I'm overall I'm excited for worlds this year. Um, that should be exciting. really look forward to seeing some of the teams and players. Um, we have a lot of friends that are competing. Um, I didn't get a shout out. Uh, Olivia Timbit, very excited to see their performance. Um, Tom Hayden. Yeah, all of our friends that are out there. Um, James Beck, uh, Titan has worked closely with this year. Um, Judy, 
all the players that were, you know, welcoming to us interviewing you at Internats. Uh, you know, good luck at your run at Worlds. Um, is there anything anyone would like to state about Worlds? I forgot to mention Judy earlier, but I also think he deserves a win. He's such a humble and nice guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Judy winning would be awesome. Especially if the second place person runs Pachirisu. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess all I want to say is just, like, good luck to anybody going to Worlds. And, you know, it should be fun for everyone, hopefully. And I am very interested to see the results. Yeah, I hope everybody has a blast and uh, gets as much merch as they want to get. <laughs> yeah, the merch is always important. That's the real reason you do it. It's for the merch. Awesome. Well, Josh, Abby, thank you for you know the offer and the invite to do this joint episode here. Um, it was something I really looked forward to, like you know, most of the season, knowing that this was our finale here to end off season one and wrap up going into worlds. Um, I was really excited about that and look forward to it all year. Um, So thank you for that. Uh, We recently actually just opened up uh, support for the podcast Um, after a full season. um, You know, we are looking for support and running a Patreon now. Um, We do have our first Patreon supporter that I wanted to give a shout out to today. He's a close friend, Zach. Um, Galahad, he helps me run some of our Limitless tours and has just been a good friend this past year. Um, Really excited to start that out. And um, if you're interested in supporting the podcast and helping us grow in the future and continue doing these episodes, um, you can always go over to our Patreon and support there. Um, We're offering all kinds of team team building events, uh, teams in general, team paced. Um, Titan and I build them together and we have several coaches who are offering like VGC coaching sessions and it's a really welcoming community and a new way for players to jump in and learn, you know, the basics, core archetypes of team buildings and strategies. Um, if you're ever interested in being on the podcast, you can email us at pokevoltclub at gmail.com. Um, Abby, Josh, is there anything you would like to state for your YouTube channel? Well, just thank Uh, you two for collaborating. This has been awesome. Yeah, it's it's been a great collaboration here. Yeah, if you're uh, watching yeah, we'll this on to, YouTube, we'll have to do this again. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, yeah, we've watching. got the Belly Bolt podcast link in the description, the Volt Tapes podcast, so uh, you can go check that out, and uh, probably their YouTube channel too, if you prefer that format. Uh, I personally listen to their podcast on the way to and from work, so they're they're good. They're good. It's yeah, and make sure to subscribe to our channel and make sure to listen to their podcast and you know just do all the things. BGC content. Yeah, and have fun with worlds. It's going to be an absolute joy to watch. If you're all half as excited as I think we are, or even more so, this it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm hyped. Me too. Me too. Thank you, everyone.